so that's great that you were able to go back to Scotland. Yeah, yeah, no, we're we're super lucky. Yeah, I feel like we can't really complain at all. And like, yeah, and like the woods are just here as well and stuff. So, yeah, it's all right. It's good. It's good. What what about you both? Are you, are you just you in Berlin, aren't you? In Bristol. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 We can still go for walks and do a bit of a sport. So it's it's not too too hard as, for example, in Spain. And I was listening this morning in the radio that they were talking or in talks about reopening the school for children in certain areas of Germany. Is that yeah. Uh, right? Or yeah, yeah, they're already considering doing this. It's part of the talks and also the confinement is slowly they're considering how would they do it and everything but they seem to have things under control or at least is uh, starting to look as things will open up i think in austria they already started well in fact yeah they started to open shops and boutiques so yeah it seems that they are controlling it so far or they are managing quite okay and, and you are from from uh, Glasgow, originally, Fielding. Yeah, <coughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just from. Um, it's a town outside called Motherwell. Oh. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of yeah, it's like deep suburb kind of industrial town sort of thing, you know. And I was not following a lot the situation in Scotland. How is it these days? Um, Scotland reacted a bit faster than uh, the UK did, so to speak. Um, uh, in terms of deaths and so on, and in terms of like the statistics, it's, I think it's it's vaguely kind of similar as spread out with the rest of England, you know? Maybe not quite as bad. It got really, really bad in Glasgow and kind of like densely populated areas. Yeah. Um, and I think it's been revealed as well in care homes, for example, today a lot of them have been affected as well. And um, It's weird, I, I've just been kind of following the situation UK-wide. Um, I mean, the government's just ever so slightly better here, they're still shit, <laughs> you know, so it's like, you know, feels everything in Scotland just feels like a fraction better, yeah. you know. It always feels like that kind of like politically as well, it's never greater as such, it's just like, if you live here, your standard of living is, you know, just like that bit better. <laughs> you know, like, well, so I'm, yeah, I mean, at least the students, they don't have a student loan, I guess, and stuff that it's really, like, impactful in their economies. Oh, because yeah. Yeah, that, and like, and also the NHS is better equipped as well, you know, and you get free prescriptions and stuff like that. So, like, the, those are, like, the, the kind of main two put. I would say the kind of main two instant things I could think of, but I mean, generally it's a similar system. Otherwise, I mean, yeah. And when you have those powers devolved, it's not a huge amount of difference as well. It's there's there's certain aspects of it. The SNP is a long conversation. It's <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah, but it's interesting because, for example, my supervisor is from uh, a, a town around uh, uh, Glasgow as well, and uh, he lives in Bristol, but. He has been living here for a long time, like 12 years or so, and he always talks about this this little bit that makes 
the difference, particularly for some people, you know, because maybe if you are super wealthy in both areas, more or less, it's more similar. But yeah, yeah, it's like uh, it's interesting coming back to Motherwell as well because it's it's a very kind of working class town. It's an old steel town, and in the late eighties, early nineties, like. Um, all of that ended and it kind of lost its identity as a kind of steel mining town and so on. It was always kind of like hate the Tories and so on. But it seems like um, it's weird kind of wandering around because I, I, I do get the sense there's a greater sense of social mobility more than there was before. Um, it's also a big commuter town as well between Glasgow and Edinburgh. It's like you can take also you can take a train from London straight up to Motherwell as well. So it's, it's become this kind of funny little area. Um, and yeah, yeah, I, I mean, I, I notice it in like the standard of living generally for friends as well as people that are poor here struggle a lot less, I would say. Well, not a lot less, they, they still struggle like hell, but it's, um, I think given the, the situation in the NHS here, it's, it's not quite as brutal. And yeah, no, London, I, yeah. London, I guess, is compared to London, is is grinding the situation there. Is it very, very hard? Yeah, yeah, I think it is. Yeah, I think just because it's so densely packed. I mean, I know some people that are still essential workers, but that that's including people that work at breweries, for example. And a lot of my friends that are working at breweries. They're not given any kind of provisions as workers, really. They're they're given a little bit of kind of PPE, you know. And kind of gloves and all the rest of it. But, um, like they're not social distancing the workers, you know. It's they're still keeping like half a meter to a meter kind of distance while they're working at uh, working there. And there's there's also there's the example as well of people that are working. What constitutes an essential worker? So, you know, if, if you've worked, for example, for like a a card distribution company that does birthday cards. You're, you're actually, you wouldn't think that you're an essential worker, but you are because you're still supplying the supermarkets. That's a huge part of shelving, you know? So there's so many people that are caught up in that kind of desperate situation. And it's interesting because obviously the, the transport is, re, it's, it's decreased, as, it hasn't it, in, in London. But you still have moments where it's packed in. Unlike like China, doubled their services, didn't they? Yes. Yeah. 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 I, I read that, and I saw pictures of the tube in London in these particular moments. Yeah. So like, yeah. I'm so glad I'm not there. I mean, I, I, not that I would have been an essential worker. Yeah, I'm lucky I can work from home, but it feels pretty grim on the ground anyway. Doesn't seem like it's a particularly good atmosphere or place to be right now. But you really manage with Cafeotto now to generate a structure that things could somehow continue through their live streaming and you just celebrated the 12th anniversary. So it's like you're able to generate this structure where things still happening. How, how, is, how did it work out? How did you manage to generate this way of working? Um. You were pretty quick in generating this yeah, very quick quite natural because we, when this started with one of the first examples of i think live streams and reports of people get paid uh, and played online and so 
Yeah, do you know, it was, it was really strange, actually. Um, so this, gets, this is kind of jumping back a bit, but we, we're lucky to be a national portfolio organisation um, for the Arts Council England, and we got this pretty substantial grant that offers us, um, it offered us to, to like upgrade our PA, we got like new microphones in, various equipment, amplifiers, we got that kind of eight-channel Genelec system, blah, blah, blah. And um, we've been getting the amounts for that in little blobs. So um, literally, I think it was like a week and a half before lockdown, we got the cameras that were due to start recording shows. And we're kind of like, oh, we've got cameras, you know? <laughs> like, mm. And um, simultaneously, the, the second they arrived in the door, we were talking about, oh, we're going to have to kind of evolve and adapt to a situation. So um, it was it was entirely natural in the sense that we were just experimenting and kind of giving it a go. And we've got a really good tech team at Otto as well. And they'd already kind of worked out a, a system for streaming along with the live stream and stuff. So um, we streamed that first in Moore, Steve Beresford gig, um, and it took Angusa and some other people. And... Um, uh, and there's a few people in the audience for that show as well and that was the last show we had open and it, it kind of just worked so well we were like okay let's just kind of do this um, and it lasted about a week um, it was really stressful though I mean it, it's not really something that I want to particularly do again unless it feels like like the situation's genuinely comfortable and safe for people um, but yeah, to answer the question, it felt very kind of um, natural and a kind of natural response because there's also a cynical end to all this as well as, you know, we're, we're a really, really small business with lots of overheads, you know, like London rents and we've got loads of staff to pay both in the cafe and in the office and so on. And, and we get a little bit of funding, but that only covers a little bit of that. So there was a kind of sense of desperation of kind of like, well, well, we need to adapt to this full stop or else we just won't survive full stop. Um, so that happened and we did the streaming for a week and then we kind of cut it down. And to be honest, it was good because it was it was po possibly the kind of most stressful week of our life because it was like, <laughs> like you know, because it's, it's putting, it, you know, people like that were coming into the building, we're, we're doing, you know, we had like two or three camera people, we had a sound engineer, we had a manager that would open up and look after people. And then you'd have musicians and, you know, we're taking, we're taking precautions, we're having, you know, like the gloves, we're having masks, we're like um, disinfecting all the equipment before and after use, blah, blah, blah. But there's still that kind of level of responsibility for people's lives that we're putting into our hands in a way that I was deeply uncomfortable about. So I was actually very glad it stopped. Um, and then straight after the, the streaming, um, it, it so happened we had this equipment fundraiser. Um, so as part of that <clears throat> Arts Council grant I was talking to you about, we part of it was part of the deal with the Arts Council is we had to match raise some of that money, um, about 20 grand or something like that. And um, we did, we kind of like had started this auction up, but then that auction then became the kind of survival fund to like keep us alive for a bit. So that's how that, that also felt quite natural that it was kind of like, oh, mm -hmm. we've got this. But that had already started. 
you know so it's, it's weird it was like the kind of stepping stones for these kind of little kind of survival kind of units for us were kind of weirdly laid out for us as they were so we kind of just you know our operation just kind of slipped like a glove into it um and yeah so that's that how that happened and then the auction ended last night and now we're kind of like oh shit what do we do now (laughs) (laughs) you know so um that's been that's been the cafe auto operation and I guess the other one is, I mean, you're running the this amazing with Alistair Campbell, the counterflows, fantastic. For me, one of the best, if not the best, experimental music festival that I, well, you know, really, really amazing festival. Uh, but And you were, it, it was going to happen pretty much very, yeah, very, very soon this month. And uh, how was that? Uh, yeah, how are you working, you know, the festival then in relationship to counterflows like what is like two parallel you know lines that i guess they will have different trajectories but they are very much uh, put into question yeah that. i have a, a little question that i would like to ask because i think it's very very related are you trying to suspend the time in terms of the next hopefully addition of counterflows so to some extent is an instantiation of these suspended counterflows or are you going to like move on and try to do your best for for the the new counterflows if you know what i mean yeah 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 so i mean um to answer the two points yeah so yeah cafe auto and um counterflows kind of operate a little bit in sync because with Cafe Otto, we're able to kind of tour some of the artists around. So the whole thing kind of ends up almost this kind of mini tour operation. And, um, but yeah, Counterflows is a kind of separate entity to an extent that I work on with Alistair Campbell. And um, uh, in terms of what happened there, the situation with that was, was uncertain for a while because the funders for it, Creative Scotland, hadn't got back to us and we're kind of, we were kind of like, okay, we have this money that you've given us. We have this possible amount of money that we were, were going to lose through the potential ticket sales and so on. What can we do and so on? But luckily, the Creative Scotland were amazing and they said you can just use that funding um, to kind of deal with the losses and you can still pay staff. Um, and we're able to pay like 50% cancellation fees. So it was a really good situation. Uh, I mean, not the best, you know, like, you know, it would have been great to pay everyone their full fees, for example, and cover everything. Like Wimbledon. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Um, so um, that was the situation there, which was, you know, so it felt less kind of um, drastic. Um, in terms of the measures and in terms of having to deal with it than Cafe Auto because Cafe Auto is a kind of rolling operation. Um, so, yeah, in terms of what's happening to the festival, I think we're just probably going to try and duplicate the festival next year. But I'll be honest with you, even April 2021, is the, the problem with Counterflows is it would be different if it was a kind of UK-based or European-based festival in the sense that it would be artists from there. I think we, given the way that the virus is going, it's maybe not okay for me to say, but I get the feeling that Europe will be able to deal with this situation before many other countries, you know, for example, 
uh, North and South America, um, Africa are going to be able to deal with this given the, well, just particularly given the access they have to the resources that are kind of needed and also how their economies are going to survive their access to like how are they going to get the um, tests I mean we're, we're asking this as well in the UK of course too but Counterflows is an international festival there's artists from you know, they're due from Jamaica, Uganda <clears throat> Ethiopia um, South America you know, there was also artists from Japan. Japan are a little bit behind, but I have a feeling, given it's, you know, what a strange term, but first world country, you know, the likelihood of them dealing with this crisis is probably going to be faster. So it's going to be weird. I, I mean, I think Countflows can only really exist as an international festival. It feels strange to, to kind of um, shave off the ends that for countries and certain people that are not going to kind of be in a position to travel comfortably. Um, so that that puts a big question mark over kinds of those. Um, it feels ethically in terms of the lineup as well. I mean, uh, it just kind of feels like the right thing to do as well to duplicate this, the festival. It feels kind of, it, it's strange from a kind of, you know, like festival marketing position because it's like, you know, nothing's going to be new. Nothing's going to be kind of like, hey, check this out, this is a new commission by blah, blah, blah. Uh, the hope is that we can let the artists kind of develop new work over the course of a year on their own. So it's it's almost kind of like focusing even harder and closer to those artists and those specific practices. That's the hope anyway. Um, so, yeah, that's the situation. It's, it's a really tricky one. We're, we're talking about delaying it maybe even further than April 2021. But to be honest, uh, we're just going to have to kind of keep a close eye on what's happening in the UK and around the world as well. I mean, this is the thing, it's not, I think this is the situation that I'm going off slightly adjacent right now, but with the case of Cafe Auto in terms of reopening, let's say hypothetically in two or three months time, the UK situation has bettered itself. There's full access to testing. Um, there's going to be talk about a vaccination, so on and so forth. And being, you know, um, we could probably work with UK-based artists for a while and keep that operation rolling. But every single country is going to be in its own kind of difficult situation. Borders are going to be in their own specific situation. Um, freedom of movement is going to be extremely complex as well. Um, so. Uh, it, it, the whole situation just feels really kind of um, I don't know, it feels really paralyzing I think. Yeah. I mean I, I don't know I don't know what your feelings are in the kind of studies with other nations for example of how you feel about that as well in terms of, I hate using the word progress because it's used constantly by media about progress with statistics but in terms of dealing with this crisis and offering you know PPA to, you know, and access to healthcare for a start and access to testing and also in, like proper immunity kind of measures for the public. I mean, what, like, what's your kind of feeling on that as well um, with, with, with kind of regards to around the world and, and also countries, well, like continents, actually, like certain parts of Africa where there's perhaps not enough hospital beds. Yeah. Um, I mean, what's your kind of feeling on that? I mean, it's a bit of a heavy question, but... Um, yeah. yeah. 
uh, very difficult to uh, to know. I mean, it's it's just there is so many questions regarding infrastructure, access to you know, like the whole test, you know, the economy of the test, who is able to get it or not, because they cost money. Yeah. In some parts of the states, they ask a hundred. Yeah, I don't know. Like I remember. Yeah, that they asked money for it at the beginning it was like really a lot uh, i don't know now how is, is is the thing here they make you an assessment whether they you know uh, you are able to get it or not but uh, still germany does a lot of tests weekly like, yeah uh, that's what they say that's what they say i mean i know just a couple of people who got the access but it's all it was almost like tricky now maybe they have a bit of a better policy but it, i guess depends really how you do it but i think they have um certain procedures whether you do it or not uh, or whether you're eligible or not but uh, I, uh, yeah regarding how it could be in africa is is uh, not only africa but Uh, for example, Latin America and South America, you have like Brazil, Colombia, one of the most unequal countries in the world. You have very rich people and then extremely poor communities. It's like when this hits there, um, I mean, it's gonna be the, the, the situation that Fielding was talking about, the frontiers, the, the, the idea of freedom of movement is, is gonna change completely. I mean, if it was difficult to get a visa from South America or Latin America to visit Europe and from Africa as well, I cannot imagine after after this and the different temporalities that are going to be established, like the temporality established by the access to tests, to Uh, potential immunity tests to vaccines is gonna be very very difficult to figure out how this is gonna determine like the the, the the freedom of movement this idea that we are talking about daily about the immunity passport or any app that could appear and uh, trace the um, trace the disease with your movements let's say bluetooth or passports crossing borders is like you can you know, i mean you can really imagine a kind of <clears throat> like a european union you, you kind of um european homogenous version of this but you can you imagine a worldwide version of this for example because for example you know that china's got its own system uh it seems like the uk is developing its own system or at least there's kind of been talks of this I mean, it, it just feels like it's one of these situations that's just going to be such a ridiculous mess. And also, given that it will be such a mess and there'll be so much kind of... I mean, like, for example, I mean, like jumping back a second, what is a successful test and what what is... A, a, what, what is that kind of green light, so to speak, on someone's health? And what access do people have to those tests, for example? I mean, there's already been loads of problems in the States as it is with the testing. Are there, there going to be those cases in parts of, like you said, in Latin America? I mean, I, I don't know. It just it just seems like it's like a green light as well towards 
more kind of homogenized cultures and more kind of homo like national homogeny altogether, which is the, the thing that I'm most scared about in a way with um, music and live events and culture in general is this feeling that, you know, we're, we're talking about internationalism a lot right now, I think, and like interconnectivity and so on. And that's really important, obviously, with regards to right now. And, you know, we're, we're doing this talk online, you know, like we're in three different countries right now. Um, it feels like lots of good conversations are happening, but also there is a kind of sinister end to all of this as well in terms of how we communicate with one another and how culture is shared and disseminated. Um, and that's that's my biggest fear is we're going to have these kind of it's 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 almost kind of like the cloud like the the kind of hardest end of the class system are going to be too like you know like the safe countries are going to be all touring and traveling the world and creating dialogues for a given amount of time and then loads of people will be left behind and i think there's a great deal of discomfort i feel about that because i think that for culture to progress you know like and i think this is something we're talking about right now is you know everyone's kind of taking a bit of a step back and reflecting about what is you know like the most important things about the arts what's the most important things about culture what's the most important thing about our relationships with one another and it feels like you know we can romance about that as much as possible but actually in a kind of physical sense it's being completely reduced and completely cut off whatsoever um and yeah, I, that's why I feel like this, you know, people are kind of like, oh, you're excited about getting back to things. It's like, well, I'm, I'm really kind of not, to be honest, as well. I, f I feel kind of, I'm not particularly excited about opening the venue to UK-only based acts for a given amount of time. I mean, that's that's fine. Um, but the, there's a kind of great sadness about that as well. Yeah, because it could create this rebound of interest in physical interaction with uh, uh, music live performance, but only for, yeah, quite privileged people. <laughs> people that yeah. live in, in that postcode of London and so, but it's like a kind of fiction that, yeah, does not represent the, the actual scenario of, of like live music in. In the world just a, a very small snippet of something that you can create because you have access to the infrastructure but hmm. but don't you think feeling that um, all these uh, collaborations and maybe performance through internet you know that they could get normalized and people will experiment in different ways that you know that it will be quite normal to play you know with somebody who is, you know, playing via internet, like, don't you think that that would become much more normalized and maybe possible experiments will occur? I mean, it's not to say that the other, you know, that all these uh, borders closing down and, uh, and be, you know, regulations becoming much more strict are not fucked up, but, um, yeah, like what I, I guess what I'm asking is, don't you think that the meaning of live music is going to change uh, through some of the uh, experiences that we are having now? I mean, 
Yeah, I think it's an interesting question because I think the the instant response by media and press and everything so far to this has been a kind of romanticized view a little bit <laughs> you know it's kind of like look at the incredible things we can do with the internet and so on when obviously there's a dark undertone to it i think i've been thinking about this quite a lot though um and um i mean for me on a personal level with regards to kind of you know what why I do these in the first place uh, they're out of kind of the situation as the, the situation arrives it's it's not ideal but i think upon a bit more reflection um it's felt like it's it's kind of it's kind of questioning what, how, how can we all be present, uh, present? And um, I've been thinking a lot about um, activism of like kind of within disabled communities and so on, and how people can't be present um, with regards to what able-bodied people like myself or ourselves can do in the world. And maybe it's a point for reflection upon what makes us, you know, what, how can those kind of hierarchies within the kind of physical world dissolve um, within and also kind of be put into the digital world and also generally how, how can we expand the narrative so it's not just the kind of physical world as it was before being kind of transmuted into a digital world. Um, how can it become kind of more utopian and kind of uh, how can we involve people in ways that we haven't before? And how can like can can there be new ways of communicating the arts that haven't been done before? Because I think there's a danger that it's just you know we we put on a live stream and a live act performs and you know that's that's fine and everyone likes domesticity and everyone likes that feeling of kind of making something interesting out of nothing perhaps in the instant surroundings if they haven't got a studio or other people to perform with. But I think it should be less a question about that. It should be more of a question about, you know, what, what's the potential of that to kind of enhance the world overall completely, do you mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and try and push the limits of that. Um, and also, I, I mean, on, on, on a kind of, this is sidestepping a little bit again, but it's made me think a lot about Otto, about, you know, most gig tickets are about, 10 pounds or whatever and drinks are a certain price you know london prices and there's a lot of people that have physical access issues they perhaps have mental health issues um other kind of um ways that they feel restricted and being able to access that space sometimes people don't live in london so maybe there's a question about how we can make the space more accessible you know and use this as a kind of what we're doing right now is a kind of realm to experiment within that and really kind of think about how we can do that but also how can we do it and it not costing too much money how can it be easy to access for everyone but also easy to create you know because it's also quite expensive to produce these kind of live streamed kind of events and already there's a lot of question about oh the, the quality is not so great i wanted to you know like blah 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 my stream you know there's, there's always these kind of conversations like um yeah i don't know where i'm quite leading with this but <laughs> I know, no, but it's, it's a very interesting question this infrastructure that allows some form of international kind of conversations but uh that yeah they are 
technically technically mediated and requires some efforts but uh, on the other hand if you just kind of retreat to the here and now uh, and if we know that already the audiences will be much more locally based you know not so uh, there will be not so many people transiting as before it's a very um, interesting and tricky question this constant negotiation between how to expand the locally in which ways you can do that can it be that kind of enhancing uh, kind of maybe the experimental music will have to open up itself to not so experimental maybe all experimental music or, you know what ways will it can what it could use in order to open itself up to other forms of audiences that you know otherwise this music will be a bit too weird I mean it's I mm. don't know uh, I'm, I'm rumbling a bit but um, I, I find very interesting this uh, question of like this situation right now uh, poses the question of how to open a scene up what kind of elements will it need to do in order to open itself up and yeah technology is a question that isn't good but also its own aesthetic forms you know uh, yeah you say it's, it's kind of weird how uh, you can see with these twitch live streams and so to some extent those who are more prepared let's say adopt aesthetics and technology that are normal for content creators from nowadays people with YouTube channels and this kind of mainstream uh, influencer type of content creation so it's not that you are developing your own groundwork because obviously we use very big platforms platforms that for example Zoom are under question in terms of privacy <laughs> and or Twitch or YouTube live, Facebook live, etc. It's kind of weird because it's not the same for a from a DIY perspective to organize a gig a squad or I don't know the most average kind of situation or to use platform economics like Amazon to receive your very nice lights and quite decent microphone. So during a pandemic, you receive your Amazon delivery with the microphone and the lights, and then you use Facebook Live to produce your gig. There is something extremely dystopian about this. You know what I mean, Martin? Yeah, absolutely. I totally so, agree. It's a, I don't know to which extent sounds like a just a kind of dystopian gateway in order to produce something but it's like very bleak it's, it's a really interesting point um, and it does actually kind of raise the question and I, I'm sure that this this has been discussed is uh, you know is there a kind of more um, a flat platform for example um, that people can use 
full stop to kind of engage in these sort of activities because you know we're on zoom right now and our privacy is is obviously a bit under question um it's it's interesting because we we were um we were streaming from youtube yesterday with the 24 hour no even longer than that 36 hour uh live stream of dj sets and stuff and um they cut it off for some reason because we had a slideshow and there's too many images or something like that <laughs> it's it totally weird i thought it was like some sort of like nudity or something that happened or like something crazy but it was really boring but um james uploaded it to another um another server altogether i need to check in which one it was because we're able to just put that purely on the kathleen otto website and there was no field of interaction with it whatsoever beyond the visuals so it was almost kind of like this zoom as it is you can only just see each other yeah. uh, not until you move your cursor do you get other options there was it was completely just uh press play and stop and almost kind of feels like you need a platform like that i mean I, don't know, I mean, I, I think I could end up just starting to sounding like a little bit like Matt Dryhurst or something like right, right now. Like, how do we create these? <laughs> how do we create the best situation so we can get our marketing going? Um, but I mean, it, it does feel like actually to, I mean, I don't know if Matt Dryhurst is having these conversations. I'm, I'm sure he is, but yeah. you know, <laughs> feels like someone should be kind of getting up and talking about it a little bit because yeah as you say you're completely right it's highly dystopian and also it's it's like what, what are we feeding into and why are we doing it in the first place as well is a constant question that needs to be put forward you know how do we emancipate ourselves and create a kind of flat space to kind of experiment within it's almost kind of like you want to see these kind of uh, performances or engagements almost like a bit like max msp you know you build it from the bottom up and then you kind of create these superstructures to kind of fuck around with i think like that's the kind of platform i'd like to see where you know you've got a simple model like this with you know perhaps various people that can collaborate and but then it would be nice for people to have use with that to then kind of um I mean, sorry for going off on one here, but you know, like to kind of play with the format and like really open it up wild, wildly within that kind of flat space, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. It feels like that's needed rather than these kind of autonomous platforms that are structured in a specific ways. It feels like it feels like we need kind of one that's more um, tactile as well. Um, yeah, but I, I don't know who the, who the hell is going to create that. <laughs> you know, like, well, I guess as soon as we are facing problems, like the problem you mentioned with the streaming, or for example, I remember Robin McKay from Urbanomic uh, is doing this kind of new podcast, Blake Paul. Uh, he played a, a stream track. Uh, he had the same kind of problem with the, with the streaming. So, yeah, I mean, we face problems. We need to find solutions, very structural problems. Ideally, it would be awesome to create this, as you say, bottom-up structure like Super Collider, Maximum Speed, or, but it's going to be difficult because obviously these uh, platforms are really easy, ready-made frameworks to produce work on the spot. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's like creating code for playing music. If you are kind of, I don't know, if lazy is the word. But yeah, you, you have to create the ground. It's kind mm -hmm. of 
less your uh, but this raises an interesting question because instead of emancipating yourself or um, solving your personal situation this calls for this problem that if we go and uh, try to find a solution for, for this extremely weird situation is gonna be a collective solution because an individual one is gonna be yeah again a highly dystopian awful solution totally yeah the the, the other thing that, that would maybe not brought up within all this is there's going to be the question of paid labor within the space you know you even with the diy gig you know there's the five pound entry or whatever that and that creates a kind of complex practice as well and how to kind of resolve that and in a way that's perhaps transparent or uh, kind of emancipated it feels uh, those are complex conversations as well because a lot of people have been saying oh are people getting paid for these live streams it kind of comes back to that uh, even if you use PayPal or Bandcamp you've got a certain amount of money going towards a homogenous body you know is, is there a system where we can create complete transparency and I, I always loved it in the early days of DIY gigs um, there's this promoter in Glasgow called Nuts and Seeds and after every single gig they um, they they uh, shared the breakdown of the costs and what they paid everyone and it's almost kind of feels like you, you want to get back to the like you were saying um, Miguel like you want to get back to the, the, the com complete and utter kind of basics and kind of go from there to create a kind of transparent platform um, but it feels already like given the kind of advent of kind of like advertising in these spaces like YouTube like we're saying and um, other platforms and also money that kind of gets put into different portals it feels like it doesn't feel particularly healthy to me um, uh, and I don't really have a, an instant solution to that but I think that I think anything within a utopian platform for this kind of sharing needs to have uh, needs to be wary of wage labor as well because I think ultimately we could be stuck in this situation I mean realistically within our kind of first world countries we could be in this situation for a year really yeah, but I don't know if you read the New Musical Express article, I think, yesterday, in which they were talking about maybe not uh, resuming music live performances as we know it in the States till late 21 or something like that, and touring musicians, they were panicking, because obviously mm. it's, it's, it's huge, the, the impact in their lives. But if you think in their minds, not underground musicians whatsoever in their economies their workers and so it's like i need to employ my pr my team in order to create a whole new economy from now yeah a kind of plan b mm. and i don't yeah. know I, I don't know if they the industry as such like big venues uh, imagine the barbican or or venues of that kind of dimension what kind of options of alternative routes mm. are there their work is gonna favor I don't know I was thinking I was thinking that this kind of yeah institutions that they move huge amounts of money and employs lot of people what are they going to do like I, th I think um, to answer that 
instantly. I think the kind of um, ground-based workers, you know, like bar staff and engineers and so on, have, have been put on the furlough system. Um, and I think the I think more kind of office-based staff. It's probably. I, I know, for example, there's one big institution in London. I'm quite closely in touch with. They've kind of furloughed half their office staff. Um, so it's yeah, it's it's. I mean. I, I can't imagine the cost of the barbican. I mean, I, I wouldn't be able to share it here, but the cost of Cafe Auto keeping open for a month is would terrify you. I mean, with our rents and so on and our costs, it's just like, um, I don't know. And this comes back to the question about the live streamings and kind of different ways to kind of keep this kind of micro economy of the arts afloat. I mean, uh, I mean, has there been any examples of that sort of activity and, and and this also includes the likes of podcasts and other kind of creative exercises people have been doing has there been any that's that's been generating kind of real actual kind of sustainable income for people i mean i i, I genuinely don't think that answer is yes i'm kind of curious about the likes of um i think one of the nicest to come out of this is um john abbey's uh quarantine series for example and people have been able to just direct, like directly donate to artists for you know a mixture of you know tracks that are eight minutes long and eight minutes long that are just up on Bandcamp. I'm sure you've seen it by now. Um, I mean, I'm curious about how how responsive people are to that because at Cafe Auto is is completely all over the place, and, um, and I think also people were responding with the money that were given to us in lots of different ways. I think there was a sentimentality with people. They're kind of like, we want to throw loads of money at Auto, but then a few of the other streams, it was kind of pennies, you know, when we didn't have that excitement around a kind of charitable situation. Um, so it's that that always interests me. It's, I mean, it's 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 a shame to be so cynical about these things, but I've, I'm always kind of trying to level up what you know because I, I i obviously commission artists to do work as well and i think there's there's an immense feeling of guilt if i'm constantly asking people to get on a mic uh and get on this kind of zoom platform or whatever it is to essentially work for free when ultimately all that that kind of exposure or money or whatever is going to probably zoom probably more than anyone else yeah. um, so it feels like these are kind of complex questions that kind of need to be explored over the next while. Um, I doubt anyone, I mean, what, what about the big pop stars? I, I've not looked at any of the reports, but <laughs> like, yeah, there's, there's massive pop stars that have been doing these really high sheen streams, haven't they? Be really curious how much money they're actually making. Cause I mean, a, a regular pop show, uh, I don't know, a stadium or whatever is like nearly a million pounds turnover, you know, like, I, I just can't really imagine a similar amount of money kind of being passed through PayPal or whatever it is, what sort of kind of payment platform they have. Mm. No, I don't know. <laughs> but I'm, I'm very interested in this um, because I guess in the latest years there has been this uh, growing of agencies uh, or artists working with agencies and i guess um there's been this parallel you know work where artists will still work uh, without agencies but many artists and increasingly number of artists who work with agencies and i guess uh, at cafe otto you will you have worked um with both 
you know you will have to deal with this uh, complex balance act between okay working with some artists that they're with agencies others that are not um, yeah how, how do you see the growing number of uh, musicians and artists working with agencies and you as an organizer who is in between that you sometimes have to deal with one or the other how has it changed your uh, perspective on the experimental music scene or the underground you know because if you call it underground that many you know it's like many people come from the underground they get the reputation of the underground but then they go into the agencies which they want to also keep that kind of cool but at the same time they want to keep the money coming in or they need to keep the money in because they're living out of it yeah yeah i mean it's it's it's, it's the funniest thing i mean I'm, i'm sure both of you i mean i know you Martin, and it, i'm sure it's the case in the gallery you know if you're going to these shows when you're young there was still those kind of romantic kind of post ian mckay notions about kind of emancipation and everything going on and like diy or die and everything and i, I was very much of that kind of strain when i started out but it does feel like um it does feel like for one there's uh there's a marketplace i hate using that term or a kind of marketplace of ideas um within experimental music and also simultaneously there's kind of a, a further tactility to it i guess uh in terms of people being able to access it like before um with the internet and so on and compared to the old days of i don't know like mail orders or whatever um i guess it has created more job opportunities i mean It's strange, the whole thing. Um, I mean, I, I went into this world, uh, like just put on DIY gigs for friends for years upon years. And I guess I, I just almost accidentally ended up with a job. Um, I'm sure a lot of musicians that uh, are in my similar kind of um, boat are, probably feel the same way as well. Um, I don't know, I, I guess there is a marketplace around it. And yeah, I've, I've seen so many agents come up uh, and like for extremely specialist acts and there's there has become this kind of marketplace of european based festivals that sustain the artistic practice of those artists but then uh, kind of sustain the bank balance of these other people as well and um i do kind of worry sometimes about a kind of strange homogeneity in the scene that goes around with that uh maybe this is going off track as well but there's there's a tendency for bookers like myself to be mimetic um like festival bookers it's you know there's there's uh i don't know like the tim hecker and the holly herndon and then you maybe have some unusual interesting acts at the bottom um it's it's a really really strange time but i don't know maybe this is a point for reflection that we can kind of i don't know if i'm thinking romantically here but we can kind of step outside that kind of um streamlined way of thinking within experimental music or so whatever we when we call it or cultures or, and kind of question um question what position they all are in a kind of marketplace and try and well try and dissolve that altogether in our minds a little bit and try and think about what unites um this the kind of disparate community of people predominantly around europe but also around the world and what kind of ideas it's shared upon and uh it's strange it, it feels like it feels like in the last few years there's there's been a kind of 
politicization of the music scene, more so than before, but in a way that's extremely didactic. You know, you've got the, you know, the unsigned festivals and so on, the kind of big labels and, you know, and for me, I've always had a bit of a problem with that. I mean, I, I can understand there's some really good creation behind that and a lot of good thinking. And there's obviously fantastic ideas by the artists themselves. And there's obviously these kind of um, discussion programs that I've noticed have got exponentially a little bit better over the years and a little bit more focused. But hopefully with this crisis, it's maybe a way to think out with kind of these kind of didactic ideas of, I don't know, like, uh, I, I don't even know what the themes were, like post-capitalist dystopia, Mark Fisher, whatever, or like, I don't know, like the post-Gothic industrial kind of wasteland, post-Brexit, I mean, uh, the post-Brexit thing before post-Brexit even happened. Um, and, and, and try and from there create a kind of sense of universality around these cultures rather than these kind of homogenized kind of didactic ideas behind the scene and what it means. It's it's kind of like one of the things I find really strange is an artist like Moor Mother is constantly put in, uh, in, in very interesting context a lot of the time. Um, but then it's kind of like, you know, another, another white guy puts on another Afrofuturism festival and there's Moor Mother. <laughs> you know? It's like, uh, or another, you know, it, it feels like that's been currency within the music scene for some time. It is. It is a commodity and it's super, extremely sad, yeah. It's, it's extremely offensive as well. I mean, but then simultaneously a place like Cafe Otto could be deemed offensive or counterflows where we try and keep these dialogues extremely fluid and open. But then we're kind of like someone could easily perceive um, Cafe Otto and its listings, you know, when you go on the website, it's almost like the, you know, like, a shop of taste or whatever, you know, like going through your kind of um, this finely attuned kind of um, world of music. And it's, um, and, you know, try, trying to get people to, try, trying to explain that is really difficult as well, because it's like, you know, you're throwing ideas out in a very turbulent sea as well, in a turbulent political situation. And I think I really respect the likes of Arica that try and, really focus upon specific issues and go extremely deep to the point that it's almost kind of like they've dug so deep like they can't even dig any further you know mm -hmm. i appreciate that a lot and but it feels like that needs to be done more mm -hmm. um that point of reflection i don't know if uh, uh, maybe i'm going off topic a oh, little. No, I, I think it's really interesting and really great because when you were saying uh, about this exercise of breaking down the coast and breaking it down uh, you know all the um, yeah, basically the cost. But then I was thinking precisely on this, um, the currency of the good taste, you know, and the way that this, uh, I mean, you call it the, so, this, the shop of taste. And I think it's very interesting because this is not something I would love somebody to break it down mm. and tell me how this works. But this is a, such a kind of complex question, you know, that once again, technology comes into place, self-awareness, you know, what is, you know, what kind of, as you were saying, it's like kind of certain um, ideas or dealing with certain forms or certain material, it has certain repercussions at a given moment and, a, you know, a specific, you know, and obviously being in Cafe Otto, being uh, in London, 
is a center where many many people are looking at you know what's going on so i mean it's a very complex question but how do you think this currency of taste works <laughs> i mean if, if, if you can well, just give us clues i mean i know it's a very big question but i think uh, i don't know i think it will be interesting to to think it's, about it. yeah yes yeah, it's, it's an extreme yeah i mean it's, it it feels like it's 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 kind of um this kind of constant stream of kind of communication and marketization of um key world issues popular media underground media what, what, the stuff that's become a little bit cool and um, the art world it seems like negotiates these far before everyone else as well i've noticed that i've noticed there's I've kind of looked back at the ICA's archives um, and their kind of specific interests, you know, like, let's say, I don't know, like Afrofuturism, like I said, or kind of, um, you know, like witches, you know, like witches has become like a bit of a subject. Uh, I, I noticed that the ICA were doing this back in like um, 2014 or 15, I think. It's weird. It's weird. It's like the music scenes, uh, the kind of, um, it's always a bit late to it. It's like this kind of weird latent kind of, um, within the commercial end like well, not commercial end but the kind of um more kind of um didactic end like i was saying it's always like it always feels like a bit of this kind of sluggish kind of left behind sort of thing like it's like it feels like in terms of taste right now we're we're still kind of um i mean I, I've i've got such kind of mixed feelings about how um the music uh being picked up for example and riffed off you know what could be I deemed identity politics uh for example um and it feels like that's still being riffed off upon and uh like in terms of my point of view with that it's like yeah well we should be supporting these people and you know marginalized bodies and and giving them more autonomy and so on but it feels like we've we've completely sold the bodies out to within this kind of horrific kind of marketized space as well um sorry i think i've lost my point again but yeah i've lost my point <laughs> sorry <laughs> uh yeah i don't know if you read um this report by nemesis this think tank quorum by marty from amnesia scanner the report is called the unami theory of value no. it was published recently like a couple of weeks ago or so uh, well he's talking about this whole phenomena that they call the unami theory of value but at the end uh, they mention yeah these situations in which uh, cybertron is playing at the louis vuitton catwalk stuff like that but it, it's it's quite interesting but at the same time makes you think that a quite uh, cool uh, underground inverted commas ban anisia scanner is so integrated within the very powerful world of art funded by mega corporations and fashion yes Again. it's a really Point. Yeah, I think that, that it's, it's interesting because we've seen these kind of worlds collide, especially over the last five years. And I think the biggest example is is one you said just there, but like um, like Red Bull Music Academy and yeah. how comfortably 
the, the, the so-called underground music worlds of which we kind of coexist have kind of put their foot in that world kind of comfortably. But it's kind of seen out of a, in terms of if you ask most people why they did it, it's because of desperate kind of political situations and economic situations for themselves as artists. So it feels like there's going to be more kind of um, parallel lines with that in terms of, you know, we we're talking earlier about YouTube. YouTube's going to completely, or, or, or Zoom or any of these massive platforms are going to constantly exploit kind of marginalized cultures in a way that it feels like they're just becoming more and more entwined. And I think it's, it's so dangerous that there's such a kind of lack of critique around this. It feels like this critique in the art world a bit, but in music, it feels like we've just kind of comfortably stepped in because that's the inevitability. Yeah, absolutely. And Martin and I, we talk a lot about this. It's, it's unbelievable because we took, uh, well, some people took uh, Red Bull Music Academy as a given, as a platform, mm. and it was a complete fiction and no one criticized this um, illusion of immediacy by a huge corporation that in principle has nothing to do with music whatsoever hmm. and was a fantastic platform a gate to know about your musician or if you are young you have this kind of master class on youtube funded and it's it's insane it's like in my opinion like a quite distorted uh, portrait of music. Yeah, oh, yeah, and it's also this marketization of really radical ideas and distilling them to nothing. I yeah. mean, Peter Brotsman's in it and talking about touring in the early days and this very kind of radical activity. And it's been distilled in this strangely kind of flaccid, kind of shiny world. I mean, it's, it's the most... And I, I, it was one of the most dystopian things ever. I've, I've actually stopped listening to those podcasts and stuff. I was like, you know, I need to stop giving them views because it feels like if we're going to move forward with our culture and move forward with, you know, the internationalism and kind of radical ends of the culture, we really need to be having these conversations in more emancipated spaces or spaces that are less kind of entwined with us. And I will, where essentially people's labor is being used to kind of upshoot and kind of uphold massive institutions. And that goes back earlier to Martin's point about um, the live streaming gigs as well. I mean, is Red Bull Music Academy doing anything to live streaming? Actually? I bet you they're planning it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's my concern. Yeah. If, if not them, someone else is preparing the infrastructure to have a ready-made platform to okay now you yeah. can play in our playground obviously yeah and that's super scary because at, at the way at the end you see this huge imbalance uh, between for example the grassroots work of local kids organizing gigs or a established venue like Otto that does huge amounts of hours a year is like incredible and then the output of a big platform with just a single thing that you create and you put online and so but the output is is 
so imbalanced if you compare it with the amount of work and so that makes you think about value and like why I am doing this if like at the end obviously the output is determined by huge structures it's like exactly and I think I think there's also it's it's interesting with this live streaming thing and uh, kind of online is such a kind of a, a ephemeral space that I, I can foresee exploitation of labor within this space far more than in the physical world. I can see Red Bull Music Academy saying, hey, you're going to live stream to 50,000 people. Do you want to get on board? You know, we'll maybe send you like, I don't know, like a 48 pack of like Red Bull once the, the crisis is over or whatever. But I can far see that far more than contributing within the physical world because online hasn't really established itself in how to deal with labor in a physical space in live music performance. Yeah, I think we get back, with that question, we get back to the uh, question of visibility and the way that maybe certain artists are willing to sacrifice their time in the hope of gaining some visibility. I mean, it's a constant balance between, you know, what you do and then, you know, if there are interesting artists uh, but you know, I guess in the music academy and them is like, oh, I will be next to them. You know, it's just like all this trying, you know, what with appear kind of move or what you do for money and, you know, in the way that you will sacrifice something in order to weigh, you know, to get some. And I guess this is a very unstable ground in which things are not clear, which also means that, the, as you were as you were saying, you know, like salaries and how to pay and everything is totally up for grabs. And but people are willing to, you know, it's like, okay, this is better than nothing. I, I better try something. So I guess depending on people's uh, amount of desperation, they will do one thing or the other. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't have any any answer to this. No. I, th I think it's almost, if there's anything that the kind of community of artists that, you know, we find ourselves in is, I, I think in terms of... <clears throat> A way to counteract that um, online right now with this there's a lot of questions about it is almost this kind of radical sense of transparency as a way of of dealing with that um, it feels like because the online world is so non-transparent mm -hmm. is you know if you go on YouTube and you click a link you you are actually giving money towards probably some advertising company or some sort of like I don't know like fucking nike shit show or something like that you know like it's it's such a kind of strange world whereas uh, yeah i think if there's going to be any kind of temporal or kind of long-term solution it feels like we should all be extremely kind of transparent and honest with one another in terms and also in terms of what resources we have as well um that's what i actually always come back to in underground or whatever you want to call it culture is that that's almost the kind of thing that's that cuts through everything is if you can do that um otherwise I, i've noticed artists just get so strange as well <laughs> like i found it through personal experience and um, like loads of people for example with auto they think you know we're really well off or you know uh, you know like people are constantly trying to figure out what auto you know is you know how it operates and so on and you know we're lucky we can operate but i think the, the best way of me trying to work with artists is trying to be a bit more transparent and otherwise it creates this horrific feeling of 
exploitation and mm. also that is a normalized narrative of which is normalized within the kind of commercial music worlds and more com commercial kind of exploitative worlds. Um, having those conversations are exhausting as well though, you know, that like, it feels weird to be kind of like, hey, I'm really sorry, we're really skint, this is our yeah. budget. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it's, you know, like it's, it's also could be a little bit patronizing to artists as well, but um, feels like that's the sort of thing we should get back to. I keep on thinking anyway. It's interesting this discrepancy between yeah, the perspective or the perception that people have of Cafe Otto as this mecca of experimental music, you know, that everybody's looking as reference if you are into this niche type of music, but it's also quite broad, you know. And obviously its reputation is so big, but obviously that doesn't directly mean that it's money to deal in everyday basis is as big but um yeah and i and, and, and i don't know how would you do that exercise of transparency it has to be one-to-one -one or actually i don't know maybe just explaining it now is an act of you know look it's very hard i guess you, you are at a very difficult moment now with what's going on uh, but i i think i i mean it happened to me before it's like when you know I, I took part of this big exhibition and everybody thought oh wow you must be either getting money for it or you know you must be uh you know but when you see the intrinsic things from behind or you know what can happen from behind it's like oh here it looks very different you know things are you know and and once you are not on the other side you cannot just believe that things are working at such a different level and that you know some things are not as good as you know an artist are willing to pay and put up their own money so it's not like just exploitation it's self you know giving you know getting in huge debts just in order to be part of this because of the reputation so i guess something that's something that art music has always been part of and maybe it's growing because the reputation is also growing through technology and through the need to be visible you know hmm. it's 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 interesting I'd, I'd be kind of curious what your thoughts are on this it's a bit of a question is because I, I i've very much grown up in this culture that and within diy culture i think this is normalized as well that terrible payment and kind of even transparency about that sort of thing is okay and set the sense that you know, paying someone, I don't know, like say, let's say like a diabolical amount of money, like 20, 30 pounds or whatever, it's fine because you operate within this economic model or so on and so forth. And I, I think one of the things that I, I'd personally like to see a little bit more from the kind of um, the music community at large is to constantly admit, no, that's not okay, you yeah. know, and constantly question that and constantly be like, no, that, that like, okay, well, I can understand you're in that position, but you know, like, you deserve better, you know, you deserve to be paid more, or, you know, um, I mean, I, I, it, it feels like it's a very British mentality as well, that it's kind of like, well, it's not the red hot chili peppers, you know, so, uh, you know, like, that's just the way it is. And that, that's very much a kind of ideal within the arts, is it's seen as a kind of privilege. Um, and it's and it's not, it's, it's something that all bodies do, able or not able, or, um, and I think that there needs to be kind of um, 
a kind of dissolution of that as well, but also a kind of a bit more of a kind of backbone from the music community. And this this involves myself as well. I mean, I don't know if you guys grew because you're both Spanish, aren't you? I don't know yeah. if that and like if you kind of grew up in those sort of like that I was think, cool. yeah, I think it's similar. Well, Martin's uh, context maybe is different because they have. Well, you can explain it. this Gasteche context is quite unique. Yes. The squatted houses that they work as kind of uh, social centers where often people can just play and it's uh, it was really yeah. powerful it still is no as a way of engaging yeah, in the still, community yeah yeah so but it's precarious as it is here um for me what you were saying is something that it's in my mind weekly talking with local promoters here in Bristol that they work a lot and underground musicians, but they are getting paid 20, 30, 40 quid as a very extremely normal thing. And maybe you cannot pay your uh, lift back home with the instruments. <laughs> and it's insane. For me, it's insane. I do not understand this. Maybe. But this... I think... yeah. uh, no, 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 go ahead. I've been hearing uh, more and more that people artists, musicians play in order to pay in no, order sorry, to play. Sorry, they pay they pay in order to play because you know the renting costs are so expensive in different cities and you know people are just happy to oh wow this this venue was only 150 euros. I mean well, like, when I oh. started to play maybe 19 years ago when I was a teenager in Spain, I remember in my hometown the venue, let's say this kind of punk rock venue run by uh, all the school guys, but maybe in their 40s, we used to pay in order to pay the sound engineer and this kind of average costs of having the venue open. But it's something that I had internalized. Then we had this kind of social space, not a squad. And then we had a squad, you remember this place, Martin. But at the very beginning, my first uh, DIY gigs, we used to pay the venue. So yeah, it was precarious as it is, but it's insane. I mean, because you see the abstract capital that then fashion brands use, etc., etc. is an abstract value that it's in there. The amounts of hours put into work are there. Musicians not getting paid is a catastrophe. It's like yeah, it's, it's it's interesting how it's like compared to let's say other kind of uh, like it like sports yeah. or other entertainment. It's like, we, like our culture, you know, in the very kind of fluid sense of the word, is like the most ready to be exploited because it's so shit. <laughs> you know, it's like, um, and we've re in, a, in a way like I think this is the danger of like DIY romanticism and this kind of um, both kind of Ian Mackay sort of way. It's like. The Gazi were very able-bodied people um, that were able to like sell out massive fucking spaces, like thousands of people, and be like, you know, it's five dollars, man, or whatever it is. And it's like there needs to be more criticality on the basis of these systems, and also with that kind of more accountability to fund, be it funding bodies, be it governments, but it's also just pe like people respecting culture a bit more in general. Um, because I, I can see 
with this crisis as well. I think that the arts in general is going to be under a huge amount of threat. And obviously, governments are going to be looking at their budgets and they're going to be like, okay, well, you know, we're going to cross off this grant or, you know, whatever. And that's going to happen. It feels like if there's going to be any kind of performative, like, like situation, be it live streaming or, uh, or a kind of debate or anything, it, I think this kind of needs to be pushed to the fore um, right now, definitely. Because it feels, it feels like I, it's still in my mentality completely. And, it, it, and then I'm starting to realize more and more, I'm like, you know, if someone asks me to curate something, I, I don't really get asked this. But I, I like, you know, you have to kind of set a kind of intrinsic value to what you do more and Absolutely. more. Absolutely. You know, and it's just the same with Hargan, I'm sure if your own thing, it's like, I'm, I'm more and more thinking about this because it feels like everything's about to fall apart, you know, like Cafe Auto, Touch Wood will probably, hopefully, probably be fine and all this, but, you know, if I lose my job, it's like, you know, I'm not really skilled in anything else. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't really know what I could do, to be honest, but, um, yeah, that feels like an important time. Yeah. Yeah, I was trying to find information about this thing that I didn't remember that occurred apparently in 68, 69 and 70, so-called the Hong Kong flu, in which a million people died. And they don't talk a lot about this because obviously the end of the 60s were turbulent times for many reasons. But this had to uh, impact the the musical scene and the hippie movement and so but i didn't find a lot of information but yeah this was something the hong kong flu and um, was a kind of weird uh, mutation of the spanish flu from the 18 but that obviously most people was immune to this mutation but yeah what? i don't what was the, the music and arts that came out of that then? Do you have some like links or something? Uh, or... No, 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 I had no idea. I just discovered this yesterday and I was trying to find information, but it's not very uh, well reported or easy to find at first sight on the internet. But yeah, uh, some people uh, got it and they were talking about, but yeah, it was massive. I mean, a million of deaths uh, due to something like a flu is, is something extremely relevant. Yeah, and yeah. The, reprodu the reproduction rate of, of a disease like COVID-19 or a flu is, 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 yeah, because it's potentially airborne, I guess. So it's really something. Yeah, I mean, I'm fascinated what the kind of creative outcomes are because I've been I've been thinking as well. You know, for example, you had Japan and the nuclear plants, and you had, you know, tsunamis and so on, and and you've got certain people that have to isolate themselves or kind of completely change the the situation and kind of mould it to a kind of desperate set of circumstances. Um, I'd almost be kind of curious to look at how that affects. The arts in general, actually, um, or if it affects it at all. Um, well, I think so. No, I mean, yeah. for, for example, Buto dance is a direct response to Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and, oh, yeah. I, uh, and I guess you have plenty of more nuances and responses to catastrophes 
like in a in a different way and i am pretty sure in these nuances are the most interesting responses because we will see a lot of very shitty and obvious responses to COVID-19, like a lot of books being written right now. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, very yeah. Fast. Like, she's like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be like a million artists that sound like yeah. Graham Lampin as well. <laughs> yeah, they'll all be getting ready for it. But I think, I think also with that, but like, I think a curious question, you know, I want to research. Um, I'd imagine I'm, I'm thinking right now if people that are listening into this right now maybe a level of frustration that I can't think of any like we can't think of any examples but how the arts kind of uh, social socially and politically also figures out um, a situation rather than on an individual level or on a kind of micro scene level do you know what I mean it's like yeah. how does it deal with it not just kind of become like a quotidian arts you know like everyone starts playing with like the cops or like like random bits of objects around the house or whatever um yeah how, how people deal with it socio-politically because I, I i i don't know if there's many examples of that as well it feels like yeah um feels like the artist needs to kind of constantly respond extremely fast to a situation like this and that's what Kathy Otto's had to do because it's survival you know feels very improvised actually and so I'm I'm interested in the sense of um, I mean I think the technological inability to deal with the problems that it's bringing and it seems like it, it lacks a kind of uh, education of some kind of um, understanding of the implications of the platforms that we are dealing with and I'm trying to think this in relationship to as you were saying the ideological social and political landscape that we're in as artists and you know like okay we were commenting about the 60s in which people at least from the perspective of today and seeing the results people were very politically and socially minded and at the same time they had this amazing uh, kind of energy that was coming out of the countercultures and the musics, you know, that were coming out. And I'm trying to think almost, you know, what would be a description or a portrait of the ideological landscape of in the experimental music scene today, you know, and and I find it very, very difficult to do this. I mean certainly in other discussions we've been talking about ambient and how ambient has been growing well at least for the last you know the last decade ambient was growing a lot and and even to the point of new age and uh, i remember in the noise scene in the previous decade well two decades ago in the tooth at the end of 2000s you know it was like okay noise musicians doing okay if if we could do any sound, we could also do new, uh, new age music. But there was a distance, there was a kind of, you know, it was like, okay. And then, as the time passes, and the decade becomes more and more bleak, and after the financial crisis, it, it seems that people are turning to these types of music that generate some form of well-being, as a form of necessity. So the critical distance or the kind of ironic move, you know, disappears totally. And then the necessity for some kind of uh, 
cultural expressions or music that makes you feel a bit better becomes more and more prominent and 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 then um it makes me think like okay um it's not so surprising that there is you know connecting back lack of uh, technological critical ability because maybe the role of criticism has changed uh, very much. The, the, the ability to have that distance is like people are being forced or pushed into a much more precarious situation. It's like people have to respond very, very quickly and, you know, often individually, you know. And it's like there's no longer the possibility to have some kind of uh, time or ability to take a bit of a break and say like, mm, let's try to analyze and think through, you know, what's going on. So, yeah, I, yeah. what do you think about this? Do you see, I mean, you were saying that maybe lately there was a more social and political awareness in musicians and, uh, or were you just connecting to the festival of Unsound or how, how do you, how would you say this ideological landscape? Is it obviously it's very fragmented? It's totally fragmented. But are there common elements that make you identify a bit? You know, uh, common, yeah, common elements that makes you understand your time these times. Uh, maybe just prior to the corona, but that maybe will allow us to think. You know, what will come afterwards, if that makes sense. Um. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think I think the experimental music scene, if we're to speak in large right now, so let's say you know the the Wire Cafe Otto world or whatever you want to call it, you know, like uh, or whatever. Right now, um, I think it's experiencing this kind of um, ripple effect from thinking a little bit, like like I said, didactically, but about politics and music and also about I think the the questions about internationalism and identity politics have come up quite a lot and bodies and so on and so forth and and I think if I'm to acknowledge anything within that I think that there seems to be you know an, an introspection of interest within that but also people that are kind of homing in really intensely on really specific issues and I find that's quite interesting I can see it within certain artists work um, I've also I, 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 like to, to answer on a kind of more kind of specific level I, I notice I, I, I don't know how you feel about this I've been kind of running it in my head a bit but I feel like there's this almost kind of new um, what's the best word to put it it's like artists are working a lot more with uh, structure in a radical way again I would say um, and I, I've been thinking about artists like um, uh, like Triple Negative that you know for example yeah. um, and how they work with what could be deemed as kind of um, you know familiar ingredients and in to some extent so you know you've got uh, I, I don't know like a kind of post Velvet Underground kind of ramshackle sort of you know like post flying nun sort of basis of strong structures and then you've got kind of music concrete and then you've also kind of got 
well, all different sorts of things kind of congealing and moving in and out of one another. And I've, I've kind of noticed that kind of approach within quite a lot of other acts as well. There's, it, I've been thinking about writing about it, actually. It's almost this sense of, like, the sense I get from a, a lot of the work is there's a lot of kind of um, an overflow so to speak, of feelings, and we're in this kind of postmodern, really horrific mo moment that I kind of overflow, but a kind of overflow with directionality is happening right now. So, I mean, it's, it's in place in Harga, for example, as well. You've got this overflow of, uh, you know, multiple aesthetic musics, but also I, I wouldn't kind of put it down to kind of uh, improvised based or a kind of indulgence or freedom as such. I don't see a kind of freedom in that music whatsoever. I see it as well in, like, for example, Guttersnipe. Um, they're another band, you know, that are dealing with, you know, like it's kind of like mutant kind of trans, queer, punk music that's, you know, like inspired by Zanakis or whatever, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love that band. But you're dealing with this kind of overflow to the point that you kind of... Um, can't really deal with it anymore. Like I, I felt like this happened within the electronic music scene a few years ago, with um, but on a, a perhaps more didactic level with um, what what do you call that music genre? You know, like Unsound were all over it and all that. Like um, you know, like that kind of computer sort of uh, you know kids playing with like YouTube clips and all the rest of it. Yeah. What do you call that? I don't know the name. No, but I but I I you. I, I know what you mean, yeah. Like, if, like it's not, like, that was post-internet music, and that was deemed as the kind of anxiety-inducing, hyper-capitalist music. I don't really see the, like, what the music that I'm talking about as part of that at all. I, I, I don't really, I don't see it as emancipated from, um, like, perhaps the kind of digital world, so to speak, but it's, it's dealing with a kind of, in a more tactile way, with kind of subjectivity under horrific circumstances and also I would also say the thing that unites a lot of those mm. artists as well is it's not really dealing with it in a way that's horrific or depressing it's also mm. it, there's also a level of hope about it I would say it's almost trying to create a level of kind of compositional a musical directionality of dealing with a situation trying to get out of it do you know what I mean but acknowledging that the, that you know like you know you have the pulse of like Krautrock is a way of dealing with a situation, you know, that's very kind of formulaic and, you know, like singular, whereas these musics are kind of congealed and moving in lots of different directions. It feels like that kind of unites with a, situ like, like a situation like this, where we're having to think of the feet constantly to deal with a horrific situation, but you have to deal with it with a level of kind of love and a level of kind of energy, um, and multi-directionality, but a kind of a unified multi-directionality. Does that make sense? Am I totally going off on a weird one here? <laughs> no, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. I, I find it interesting because I think Martin's question as well uh, covers the question that we may ask, which is what kind of underground music yeah. examples we have in the market in the broadest sense in terms of, for example, uh, your mention of festivals and how, for example, the last summers were ubiquitous, these kind of same lineups of quite successful, or I can imagine, 
relatively economical, successful acts. It's interesting what you said about the art world, that you thought that music was always behind, but I think musically it's much more in, it's, it's unconsciously much closer to a tactile because, you know, in the art world it's always like a, a delayed reflection that it takes time, but, you know, it's like, us, in music it's like doing it perhaps without that kind of reflective, but in a much more intuitive, and I think, um, I don't know, so many of the things you said seem to imply for me at least that you really had a, a, a hand on the pulse, you know, like kind of like knowing tactically, you know, what's the issues at the moment and like really, you know, as, as what you were saying with the Cafe Otto, that you had to reply super fast and at the moment and it was because you know, a series of coincidence, but I think very importantly, you were ready for it. You know, it's like you were not afraid to do it. You were like, yeah. okay, let's do it. You know. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting because I think yeah, it, it does come down to that point, doesn't it? That music is intuitive in some level, and also like open in the way that art is so kind of within the frame mm. in so many ways to speak, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's strange. It's like it, it definitely feels it's always latent in terms of these uh, like really fucking lame ideas. <laughs> these best <laughs> like, I, I mean, it's 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 cool to an extent. I don't want to like you know like I admire their hopefulness, but I also find there's like, a huge level of offense of like creating a marketplace for marginalized bodies and marginalized ideas in the way that sells them to white people or from white people or you know like able-bodied people to able-bodied people like. Like uh, that's why I'm, I'm glad the likes of Arica exists in the first place, where it's like you know, yep. let's think about this in a serious way. And no matter the platform as well, maybe it goes back to what Miguel was saying there as well. It's like, I mean, every fucking space is fucked with its own kind of overarching kind of uh, uh, milieu, so to speak. You know, Atenel has this kind of like post David Lynch Terminator vibe about it. Cafe Otto has this kind of like meek, kind of quiet, uh, Japanese, creaky chair, coffee shop vibe about it, you know, like, and how each space and how each situation kind of creates this very certain kind of milieu. It's weird. Yeah, complex. <laughs> <laughs>